Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to DNF. I'm Jessica Smetana. He's Spencer Hall. He was at the Miami Grand Prix. I watched it on TV. We have lots of thoughts on LL Cool J and, of course, Will I Am, but also thoughts on the race. So, Spencer, where do you want to begin? This was such an exciting Formula One weekend here in the U.S. It really was. It was. <sighs> I will say this. The Miami Grand Prix really uh, improved from year to year because it was so much less chaotic than it was last year. It was a very chaotic scene. It was difficult to get to. And you'll be happy to know that it was difficult to get to and chaotic, but slightly less so nice. than last year. So. On the South Florida scale of things, that marks some degree of improvement. I'll also say this. We didn't get quite as many celebrities as last year. There wasn't quite the wattage. I think everyone might be saving that for a Vegas trip. You know, as a celebrity, you only have so many exposure points. You really want to save those for a place where you can get a hotel room for a mere, I don't know, $2,700 a night for the weekend of the race. Uh but it was pleasant. It just felt like I, I there was, it, it felt like, I know this sounds bizarre, but it did actually feel like more of a spectator event. Like layout was a little bit better. Things flowed a little bit better. So if we're all out there trying to get 3% better every single day, guess what? The Miami Grand Prix managed to do that, even if the race didn't quite deliver the way that we wanted it to. That's really interesting. So I watched the race on uh, ESPN and I actually had the same takeaway from a visual perspective it looked mm -hmm. really good it looked really fun the track looks awesome i think the only thing that i still think is a little funny is how uh the, the proximity between the track and the ocean and all mm -hmm. the bumper shots being um like sunny isles beach where i i don't think anyone from miami actually lives and then no. you know hard rock stadium but that's okay no one really outside of miami probably knows that right. so for a race that's kind of in the middle of a parking lot or around an nfl stadium or whatever i thought it actually looked really good this year and and props to the race organizers for making it um like you said maybe three percent better maybe i would even say like ten percent better I, I just thought it was a it was a good tv event it's an excellent tv event it's gotten to be a better spectator event and for the second year in a row i walked out of there with a pint glass of champagne this is a Oof. consistent pattern now oh yeah if we get to three it's a trend next year i would welcome it but um the one critique and this is not a critique this race buys entirely too much champagne and at the end of the race, they just kind of have to start pouring it out. So if you're there <laughs> uh, and someone's making it rain with some Dom Perignon or uh, Moet Chandon, congratulations. You're you're in my army. You're in the people who are like, fine, fine. I guess this is my post-race drink. You're all walking out of here with me anyway. Hell yeah. Well, that sounds great. So I'm glad that we kind of had the same takeaways then. So I want to hear more about your in-person experience. I know that they moved things around this year. Mm -hmm. They added... Um, the hospitality section of the paddock to the inside of Hard Rock Stadium. Mm -hmm. So people could 
kind of spectate, I guess, and watch the drivers coming and going. <laughs> Is that accurate? Was it really like a, a fishbowl uh, kind of thing with the fans? It was. Let's talk about the driver experience for this a little bit, because oh, yeah. I believe that all of the demands made on drivers time. There were two actual sort of like thought, schools of thought on this. First, there were driver intros, and the driver intros were. We need to get we, this. Needs its own section of the podcast we, because we there has been so much to they, to discuss they, here. They despise that. They did not enjoy those. <laughs> On the whole, they did not like those. They're creatures of habit. This was a new thing. Therefore, they were uh, disposed, predisposed to disliking it from the start. However, the way that they they line, line things up, and I'm gonna play a little mind theater for you. So you know, bear with me. Mm -hmm. Theater All of the, of the hospitality tents last year and everything that the teams do to get VIPs in, get all of their people in, schmooze, and keep everyone happy while they're doing the business of running race cars, that was all sort of under the edge of the stadium right across from the paddock. So it was kind of pandemonium. There's like Gunther Steiner, and he's trying to run the garage across from the hospitality tent where everybody's kind of grabbing at everybody constantly, putting all of those all of that stuff out on the field, I do think that freed everybody up a little bit. It certainly freed up anybody like me who was wandering around and wanted to get from point A to point B back there. So a little less chaotic. I do also think that inevitably there are strange things that happen. For instance, our broadcast set, we did a pre-show on ESPN uh, with Gary Streisky and Katie George. And when uh, I did that, Aston Martin and... Uh, Ferrari still backed their generators that they use to power different things that they can't plug in. They backed those generators up to our set. So we had to ask them very nicely to move like eight massive generators <laughs> that were just kind of sitting out there. So it's always an active, uh, active improvisation on the, but again, I think when they moved things around, it made things slightly easier for the drivers and the teams, and it made things easier for spectators. There were more places to actually watch the race this year, and by that I mean large TVs so that you could catch more than you know one or two turns, which in a lot of on a lot of tracks is pretty much all you can see. Yeah, I think that was one of my main takeaways last year. Being like in the media area, there was really nowhere to watch the race, so. I just didn't really know what to do during the race, but that's that's a good improvement. Um, let's touch on the the driver intros because this probably got the most uh, media attention and coverage from the weekend, more so than like you know the tire strategy or or any of the other things that happened in the actual race. So if you're watching on TV, um, LL Cool J did these like I don't know 10 second intros for each driver. And they came out of this big curtained stage and there were cheerleaders and an orchestra and Will I Am was like conducting the orchestra, but not really conducting the orchestra. And afterwards, all of the drivers, more or less, except Lewis Hamilton, I think, kind of ripped it and were like, this is the stupidest. Like, this was stupid. We were standing outside in like the baking heat before we had to get in our cars to do this. It's extremely silly. Um, but more so than that, a lot of fans I saw on Twitter, especially, and, and especially people that were not from the United States, from what I could mm -hmm. tell, thought that, that it was like the stupidest thing that has ever happened at a Formula One race. There was one article on First Sports that rounded up some of the comments from Twitter. Um, this is one of my favorites. When U.S. touch something, it becomes crap. Please stop this kind of things. And <laughs> then <the> <laughs> and then another, it was awful, made a mockery of the sport. And then 
No, it was hideous. It was awful. It was embarrassing. I'm mortified for all involved. You focus on the U.S. audience, but forget the rest of the world. And then never again, please. So mm-hmm. uh, mixed results. What What did you think of all of that? Well, it, it's odd because I didn't see them until post-race. Because there's a lot of things happening after we, you know, you break down a show and then you're trying to find the place to watch it. And you kind of see them happening out of the corner of their eye. And there's this vague disquiet, this unease that all of the drivers <laughs> are just, you know, radiating when they come out of there. In particular, Lando Norris, I know, and quote me on this, he fucking despised it. Like Lando Norris was irate. So his comments after the race were along the lines of like, I get why they do it because they want to cater to this new audience and market and we're an entertainment spectacle, but like that stunk basically. There's mm-hmm. another another fan comment on Twitter that says, two more races in this bastard place and they want to add even more crying emoji. So yeah, I mm-hmm. it, it was definitely not a not a fan favorite. I will say this. <laughs> for for all of the fan, for all of the for all of the people who say this is so tacky and American. One, tacky is everywhere. It's universal. You just didn't like this particular kind of tacky. Second, you do you want all the races to look alike? I don't. I really don't. I like having things be a little bit different. And if you have a race in Miami and you have somebody who is willing to pay a large amount of money to host that race and make it happen in Miami, that person, uh, Stephen Ross in this case, is going to try to turn it into an American sports spectacle. Larger, tackier, uglier, louder than anything you've ever seen. I'm not entirely against that. I don't want the Miami race to be an exercise in decorum that makes a mockery of the sport because the sport makes a mockery of itself in a lot of different ways. And I think if that's your take, you're far too self-serious a person. Evaluate your priorities. Take a look at yourself, okay? If you want dignity, don't look to F1. Don't. This is this is a sport that absurdity is, I think, a, an important element of anyone's attitude towards it and should be because these are men in tiny little capsules going 200 miles per hour in cars that cost more than most mansions. That's if you think that if that's your starting point, I have some news for you. OK, it's already kind of wild and you're not going to be serious or should not be too serious about a whole lot of it. That said, that said, I don't think the drivers were happy about it. The spectacle, it's all part and parcel, I think, of having a Grand Prix in Miami. The actual exercise itself, we could speed it up a little. I think we could speed it up a little. You know who did enjoy it, though? Kevin Magnuson, because there's, again, no one happier in the world than a Scandinavian in Miami. He was absolutely, I think, <laughs> he was thrilled with the entire endeavor. He was a new person after three days. He's going to buy a house here. Just just mark my words, you will see him sunburnt and happy on the intercostal waterway at one point. It's just going to oh, happen. Oh, 100%. I, I mean, we could talk about the actual copy itself. Like, they when they introduced Nico Hulkenberg and, and LL Cool J, like, they call him the Hulk because of his driving, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, they call him the Hulk because his name is literally Hulkenberg. I, I'm pretty sure. I, I haven't been a fan of F1 long enough to remember his first stint, but I think that's why he has the nickname. So some of them were like a little silly. I'm with you. I just thought it kind of took too long. Like it, it yeah. was a little over the top in terms of length, but I don't mind it as a concept. Um, one of my favorite F1 podcasts besides this one, obviously, is the Miss Apex podcast and the host Spanners, who is British, um, did make the the comment that like you know if if you were if you were whinging about this being like over the top and silly, um, 
they just had a 17 hour coronation for a king over there. So like every mm-hmm. country, like you said, has its own brand of of silly pomp and circumstance. So and all, when all is said and done, I didn't think it was the worst thing in the world. It's certainly like I don't th- I didn't think it was like cringy, but, you know, I mean, e- even if it is a little bit right for first of all, that's subjective. That's fine. Two, this is what you're going to have to do to sell this sport in the United States. I have news for you. That that's what you're going to have to do. Okay, that's what we like. This is more of a description than a prescription. Uh, you know, like be better. No, no, I can tell you what works. <laughs> what what if works you, is this. Oh, and if you think Miami and Florida is tacky, wait until we're in Vegas. That is the city with the like miniature fake Eiffel Tower, oh, little little New York, New York. Like it is just the the Elvis Chapel. Everything. It's ev- going to be great for everyone whose asses are puckering a little bit at this. My, my friends, my friends, <laughs> buckle gird, up, gird, gird your innards for what you are about to experience when we get to Las Vegas. Absolutely. All right, Spencer. So maybe we should talk a little bit about what actually happened uh, race wise this weekend. What were your, I don't know, key takeaways? It wasn't the most exciting. It was probably a little bit better than last year, um, although there weren't any red flags or anything during the race. But what, what did you think of the circuit? Uh, the circuit itself performed a lot better than I thought it was going to, but that's because my expectations are low. I didn't think they would actually end up fixing that much. And, and in truth, all they really needed after practice was to go ahead, lay down, uh, you know, get some more rubber on it and establish a line. And most street circuits, as Max Verstappen himself pointed out in comments after I believe qualifying, most street circuits have one line. And if you get off that line, things are going to get pretty slippery. They had real issues in terms of the aggregate adhesion in layman's terms, that's getting the stuff to stick to the road that they put down last year. There wasn't as much of that this year. And I think that overall, if you say, well, how did the track do? How many cars finished? Everybody was very well behaved. Most people did not stray offline. And you ended up having 20 cars finished. Did they all finish well? No, we had 18, 19, 20 on the rookies. It was a track where things became predictable. That's basically what you want in terms of a surface. We didn't talk about it. It didn't become an issue. And that itself is the goal of anybody who's trying to engineer this kind of surface for racing in Formula One or or anywhere else for that matter. I think like maybe, you're right. I think maybe like the the downside to that was the, tire strategy became super Mm -hmm. simple, super predictable, ultimately gave Verstappen the edge because he was on hard tires for most of the race going fast, going faster in Mm -hmm. this, in once the tires had been worn for like 20 laps, than people were doing on even the mediums, I believe Uh, I will have to check that. But yeah, I mean, so there wasn't when it, when a lot of these races, when there's, there's only one pit stop and you're doing medium to hard or hard to medium, like it just doesn't add a whole lot of complexity to the strategies and to like the moving of pieces on the circuit. Um, so that is, you know, maybe something that either Pirelli needs to work on because they're, you know, there's such a gulf between the hard and the medium tire that they're bringing to these races in terms of performance. Maybe they need to change it. I'm not really sure. Um, engineer it differently, I guess. But um, I did think that that led to a little bit of a kind of dullness towards the end there. I'm blaming Fernando Alonso for all of this because Fernando Alonso requested from the universe a boring race. That is what he said he wanted before the race. And because this is 2023 and uh, the old Sly Fox gets everything he wants, we ended up with exactly that. A pretty boring race, a Fernando Alonso podium in third, 
and the predictable thing happening. We didn't even get the like, we're not even getting the Red Bull rivalry story that we really want out of this because yeah. Verstappen was so good that when it came time to pass Sergio Perez, he passed the second best car on the grid with ease. So not a lot happening there at the top. The exact boring race that Fernando Alonso wanted. And, you know, even the guys that you expected some degree of disaster out of, like Jessica, what what happened to Leclerc? In practice and in qualifying, <laughs> right, right, right. We got we got double we got double spins out in both of those. You expected some sort of at least volatility coming into the race. He said that they had an aggressive aggressive racing setup, and then when he got out there, he went from uh, what seventh to seventh. That's yep. it. Just kind of shut. Like I don't want to say he shut it down, but it seemed to me that they were going to go ahead take what they got and, and and not really risk a whole lot in terms of position or trying to move up on a setup where he'd already spun out twice. So we didn't even get the kind of disaster that I think, or the kind of, you know, interesting catastrophe, minor catastrophe that, that we might have wanted in terms of the up and down world of Charles Leclerc. Although Charles Leclerc did have a pretty good weekend. He managed to throw a strike throwing out the first pitch at, oh. the, at the Yankees game. He threw, no, it was clean. It was good. Wait, he threw the first pitch at the Yankees game? I believe it was the Yankees, yes. Not at the Marlins game? Mm -mm, no, he, he, I think oh. he took a detour through New York. Wow. Okay, because Valtteri threw out, threw out the first pitch at the Marlins game last week. So their attendance was three. <laughs> Him, his videographer. And the catcher. That's and the it. catcher. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Awesome. I love Marlon's attendance jokes. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And it, I don't know. I, I will need to go back through where everyone finished, but it seemed like for the most part, everyone like finished in place. There wasn't any like real outliers as mm -mm. far as we've seen this season. I mean, we probably should talk a little bit about um, the Alpine rumors, the Mercedes comments that Total Wolf made after the race. And now this kind of, Consistent, um, underperforming by Nick DeVries that has been escalating in terms of, uh, you know, what his future is going to be in Formula One. Let, let's let, let's start let's start backwards there because I actually okay. for some reason that question caught my eye. Okay, from Texan Arizona, which was, does DeVries last the season at this rate, or does he get replaced with uh, newcomer Raniel Ricardo? <laughs> Uh, I, lo I love I love those uh, those name puns all the time, like the mm -hmm. you know when Dom Brady was playing for the Patriots or whatever. It's but better yes, the, it's better the thirty seventh time. Yes, love always, that. always. Uh, what do you think? Do you think they would actually replace him mid season, or do you think they're going to give him the rest of the season to try to figure it out? He made so he made a, a kind of like I guess silly rookie mistake this weekend when he tapped Lando Norris's car, and Lando said after the race like that's a rookie mistake and he should have braked sooner and kind of wasn't super happy about it. Um, he just hasn't been very good yet in the Alpha Tori. It's his rookie season in F1, but he is an older driver. He's not like a young, you know, 21 year old, like Oscar Piastri, where you expect to see maybe some, some bumps in the road, but mm -hmm. uh, he is, it still is his first year. So like you have to give him some time, I guess, to adjust, but what do you think will happen there? Well, we're two months removed from, an AlphaTauri sale rumor that has been quashed. But every time a rumor comes up, me being the extreme cynic that I am, I assume that it's true. 
So a friend's toast says, no, AlphaTauri is not for sale. Then I assume we're just trying to figure out what the price is so that it can be on sale. Just like when Mattia Binotto wasn't leaving Ferrari last season. Right, right, right. Mattia Binotto. No, everything's fine. Organizationally, we everything is, is proceeding as planned. Yes, the plan is to get rid of Mattia Binotto, which happened. <laughs> and then if the plan is not to sell AlphaTauri, then I assume it's just a matter of how much and when if there's this much sort of smoke around this non-existent fire that we're all looking at when it comes to Alpha Tari. Nick DeVries, in terms of where he should be, he's not too far off from, from where he should be as a driver because he's learning, and I think rookies do get a significant amount of leash in terms of how bad you can be. However, his highest position is 14th. He's DNF'd twice. He was 18th and never really showed much of any push in this race. So if you're looking for improvement or getting better, that hasn't happened. He didn't even have like a fast start where he then fell off. So are you saying, could he be replaced? But anybody will take that seat because there are so few opportunities to race in Formula One. But I'll say anything's possible with AlphaTauri because so much is unknown about what it is what its true identity is at this point Mm -hmm. within the red bull universe and whether it's whether anybody's going to be in the same place next year with them you know like that's that's part of a larger discussion about you know new teams coming in new personnel moving from one team to another all that good off-season stuff that we can't sim to quite yet even though we're pretty sure how the rest of the season is going to go in terms of the number one and the number two but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's possible because he hasn't, it's early, but he hasn't shown much. Yeah, and his teammate Yuki Sonoda has finished in the points twice, albeit in 10th place in Australia and Azerbaijan. But um, the other three races, he's finished 11th, so pretty close to the points. And like you said, DeVries hasn't been quite as consistent. But yeah, Yuki's been in Formula One a little bit longer, so maybe he's got a better grip on things. I love that your cat is nuzzling cat is you right just, now. Just... That is incredible um but i don't know i i tried to like read into this rumor and see if i could find any comments by franz toast um Mm -hmm. one of one of my favorite formula one names to see if there was any sort of like message he had put out there like you know some of the other teams have done in times of turmoil i couldn't really find much so i i don't anticipate a change but who knows who knows it's formula one everything's crazy it's 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 wild to me that it's wild to me that that the rookies have been this bad yeah you know they've been they've been very very bad i think they are generally in bad positions it was real bad that logan Sargent had this dismal a day where yeah I all right he, t- let's he came back let's in talk after about a lap a lap came back in and was like yeah no we're just listen change the tires phone it in we're we're good so there were some like interviews and articles and stuff about Logan Sargent going into the Miami race because he's from Fort Lauderdale. Uh, Crofty mentioned on the broadcast a few times, but um, it doesn't seem to me like there has been much of any sort of push to get him to be like the American driver in F1 from like a marketing or PR standpoint. And maybe partially just because he's not racing well or because he's racing for Williams and, and they're obviously in the bottom of the pack as a team. But I guess what was your takeaway from, from all of that? Um, Normally you, you kind of see more when a driver is racing in their home country than I think we did going into this week. Yeah. I think that's largely because 
if I had to guess, the Americans who are into Formula One are into the sport as this collection of personalities than they are into any sort of national stakes. Um, also, the kind of people who I think would be super gassed about being hardcore, like, America types, they're not watching F1, right? I think more, yeah. of, them are, more of them are probably watching NASCAR. That's not a slam on NASCAR. That's just an understanding of demographics and who's watching what. More people in the United States still watch the NASCAR race this weekend than watch the F1 race. However, more people between the age of 18 and 49 watched the F1 race. And I think that'll give you a window into kind of what I'm talking about when we go who's watching it. So I think that's one factor with Logan Sargent. Logan Sargent also, too, he is 22 years old. He's not that interesting. Most people when they're 22 really aren't that interesting. <laughs> And if they Fair. are, they're kind of interesting in a car crash kind of way, right? Yeah. Uh, not literally, hopefully for Logan Sargent, of course, but they're they're interesting in the, the, the train wreck disaster kind of way. That's not an excuse, but that's definitely, I think, another factor. But largest, so he races for Williams. He races for Williams. He's like, there's not a whole lot of interesting stuff happening back there at all. Yeah. Yeah. I would read a dissertation about the quote unquote Americanness of f1 and its drivers because i think you're right i think daniel ricardo still is our most american f1 f1 driver um and maybe now oscar piastri is number two i don't know logan yeah. Sargent would would then be three yeah and this is by the way you see we are currently uh what 26 minutes into this and discussing logan Sargent. that's how uneventful the miami race was no yeah. offense to the miami race it's just just not the most electric series of races. That goes for like some major teams too, like Ferrari, kind of an underwhelming day. Mercedes, I think Mercedes did well, but Mercedes did well in the same sense that um, it's been doing well in the 2023 curve. They finished fourth, they finished sixth. That's about what they're possible, they're capable of. Hamilton made up a ton of spots coming from, I believe, starting 13th, back in the weeds. I will point out one interesting thing that happened uh, mm. regarding Mercedes, which is Toto Wolf calling the car a nasty piece of work. A nasty piece of work. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Um, he said, I think the car is not a nice car, not a good car. And I would even be able to point out where the issue <laughs> yeah. is because it's everywhere. The basic performance of the car, the lack of understanding of the car is through the whole span of activities of this track. The performance is just really bad. So they're upgrading uh, the car for the next race in Imola and hope to see some improvements there. But yeah, Mercedes is just like, I guess, I, I don't know what they're striving for, just finishing as high as they can, obviously, but not putting more into it until they get this upgrade package. Are you somewhat skeptical of, all right, so they have upgrades. They're going to be, this is this is it. This is going to fix it. Are you skeptical? Yeah, I'm, very I'm totally skeptical. skeptical of that. And they've also made some changes in their, like, uh, whatever, the F1 equivalent of a front office with the engineering and all of the people that were part of creating this car, from what I understand, have now um, been demoted so or, or promoted out of that role. So I, there's clearly, like, some sort of disconnect between the team and what the car is this year and what the car was last year and how mm -hmm. it just seems to not be performing well. And they're like total wolf said, if, if this is indeed the case, there isn't like one magic fix. So yeah, the upgrade for Imola isn't going to make the car competitive against Red Bull. Maybe it'll make them a little bit quicker and they'll be at least competing more with like Aston Martin or, or Fernando Alonso, I guess, because 
both Aston Martins are not created equally as we can now kind of see through the first five races. But um, I don't know, Spencer, I, I don't anticipate much of a title fight at yeah. all between yeah. any of these constructors. To, to that point, one thing you do get from being the track is you do get engineering scuttlebutt, but and one thing going around the paddock, the engineers for Red Bull thought Verstappen was P2. They thought P3, P2, he could get there this weekend. And he outperformed their expectations. Jesus. So if you want to know if Max Verstappen is is surpassing your expectations, the answer is he's surpassing math at this point. That's how good he is in that car in the year 2023. That Mercedes better go full space launch off the start-finish line at Imola in order to catch them. That's how good those upgrades are going to have to be in order to even compete with what they're seeing out of red bull right now well we should talk about another team that is in disarray um mm-hmm. there were comments made by uh laurent rossi who is the f1 boss at alpine about the quote-unquote consequences of failure as the headline <laughs> in espn read um yeah. but essentially he just was like yeah there's gonna be changes and they're gonna be probably pretty big ones it seems like otmar might be on the hot seat after a season and a half at Alpine. And um, I imagine that the issues go back farther than just the season with him, with everything that happened last year with Piastri and Alonso and everything. But did you hear any scuttlebutt about uh, big changes coming to Alpine's team while you were at the race? I did. And Alpine just seems subdued and businesslike, which is what most people are. There's not, you know, there's not a whole lot of drama in terms of people going, he's going to get fired. Like, no, that doesn't that doesn't really happen at the track. It's odd because Alpine actually had, a, I think, for their level, their tier in the sport, they had a pretty good day. Eighth and ninth, both of yeah. the points, right? That's, that's pretty much what you want. And everybody in front of you probably should be in front of you. Um, however, it's very hard to also look at that and say, well, you know, there's obviously potential there. We should yeah. do better. We know we should do better. We've got... We've got two, you know, pretty good drivers who still probably have a lot of meat on the bone in terms of what they have coming up career-wise. These are guys who, you know, probably do have some podiums in front of them. So it, it's very hard to not look up and see some slight disappointment, especially in terms of the slide. It, it's never your absolute position is never just about your total absolute value as a team. It's about everybody around you. I think with the slide and Mercedes performance. Um, the emergence of Aston Martin has probably made Alpine feel a little a little saltier about their lack of performance. Also, hey, K Mag, nip it at the nip it at the heels in tenth. All right, again, nobody happier than a Scandinavian in the city of Miami. Um, you know, well, is, Alpine, is Alpine disappointing to you? Like, I slightly? mean, this weekend probably not, but generally this season they've had a kind of a shit show. <laughs> Between mm-hmm. Ocon getting all the penalties in Bahrain, the drivers colliding with one another, it seems like they there might like going into the season, there were rumors that these drivers didn't like each other. So then for them to crash into each other um, on the track, yeah, like that's that's a problem. You probably should address that. Um, and then Gasly had huge issues with his car in Azerbaijan, and uh, I don't know. So yes, generally, but. They also seem like their their expectation is to be like where Aston Martin is this season, not where Alpine is this season. Yeah. So there's clearly some sort of disconnect there. 
so that that said, you're still tied with Mercedes in the constructors championship. Yeah, that's true. After five races, so you know, get it together. Things can look a little bit better if you take if you take like you know fifth best team. It's not bad. It's not too bad for Alpine. <laughs> the way it's happening might have been sort of stressful, but the overall the overall result you want is still there for the taking. The season season's still young. I know, I know. Things are predetermined. We've just decided that Max Verstappen is going to win everything, and that, of course, is probably what's going to happen. But everything after that, everything from two down, it's still real interesting. Remember, we're saying Aston have figured it out. Okay, let me give you a little bit of a wrinkle to that. Yeah, they put Fernando Alonso on the podium, but but Stroll, Lance Stroll, real issues this weekend, like a real bona fide struggle day at the track for him. So in a sense, you know, every team is facing, you know, one step up and two steps back any single weekend. Look, look second tier for your stories. They're all there. I want to answer a fan question from Shreddy Vetter. Which driver is the most and least Miami? Do you have thoughts on this? I feel like I have, I have a few contenders for most. Um, This weekend gave me some answers. Uh, Kevin Magnuson. I believe is extremely Miami just because he looked so happy, so glowing. Um, he looked like he just wanted to spend the rest of his life in some expensive floral shorts, right? The little pajama sets that are popular among men now. Oh, Patrick Mahomes. I love those. I love a, pa- a PJ set. The PJ, listen, the PJ set is uh, it's a comfy look, right? And and, yeah. and really like style starts with comfort. They looked confident in those, mm-hmm. like Patrick Mahomes. No longer has to slide around in like giant, unbreathable basketball <laughs> shorts in hot weather like generations of jocks before him. No, he can wear a big ass pajama set, the kind that I'm sure Kevin Magnuson would look absolutely stunning in. So he's my answer for this weekend. What say you? I say it's like a three way tie. I thought Nico Hulkenberg really dressed the part. He had a couple two pieces on, mm-hmm. um, like matching, matching sets with palm trees. Um, there was a picture of him that Alanis King tweeted just completely manspreading in the uh, interview room in his palm tree printed pants. So, you know, he definitely is dressing the part. He looks like he could be arriving at a Miami Heat game in that yeah. outfit. Um, Alex Albon has the bleached hair. So I have to give him credit because that's a very South Florida thing. Uh, and Valtteri Botas, I wouldn't say he's very Miami, but I would say he would fit in well in Florida. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling like Botas to me definitely feels more uh, hmm, Jacksonville. I was going to say like St. Augustine, Jacksonville. Saint, uh, Treasure Coast. Treasure yeah. Coast. He's definitely more yeah. Treasure Coast for you, those yeah. of you not familiar. Martin County. I think he would yeah. be fine at Jupiter. Let's put our, let's put our boy in Jupiter and watch him thrive. Absolutely. Do you have a least Miami contender? The least Miami contender. Verstappen, uh, perhaps. It's Max, it's, no, it's Max. Ver, <laughs> it's it's listen. It's 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 Max Verstappen because Max Verstappen, as far as I know, does not one. He does not speak Spanish. Two. He's not laid back. Three. I have a feeling that once things went forty-five minutes late, which is kind of your standard running time for anything in oh, Miami, yeah. then he is just going to hit the deck. Also. That man and extended exposure to the rays of the subtropical sun, not a great thing. He's not going to handle it well. Also, like spicy food, probably not. Um, I think like you could put any plug and play any of the French guys they would fit in down here. I know there's a lot of French people in Miami. Yeah. Um, So yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Verstappen, definitely the least Miami. Probably also the least Vegas. 
probably also the least Austin. I just yeah. don't, I just, I don't see him really anywhere in the mm. States other than maybe. Well, you know what he does? You know what he does like to do? He's a big sim racer. He's obsessed with sim racing. So really he's kind of international because you can sit inside anywhere. Very true. Yeah. I have a question I would like to answer, um, which is this. It's from Speed Limit 93. What could make a plate of nachos be worth $275 to you? I have <laughs> I have my answer. Jessica, what could sell you on a $275 plate of nachos? Okay, wait. So we have to preface this with the mm-hmm. menu card that someone tweeted out with prices yep. from I think the sweets at the Miami Grand Prix. And I think mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, those were the prices for if you order a plate of nachos to your suite. So it probably is meant to serve like 12 it's, people. It's meant to serve 12 to 15. And I could be wrong. I could. This could be a single serving of nachos because it is Formula One and we know that they are a bougie bunch. But um, mm-hmm. if I'm talking about just a singular plate of nachos and it costs, what, $200? Yeah. Um, it's got to be the best brisket in the world on that on that nacho. It's got to be a pound, two pounds maybe of just pure, juicy smoked meat. I would pay two hundred seventy five dollars to get a goddamn plate of nachos that doesn't have cheese on it. I would. Yeah, I put two hundred seventy five dollars on it. I should have seen that coming. Yeah, your weird cheese aversion. My yeah. perfectly acceptable aversion to bad milk walking. That's I what, love cheese. Like I would pay two hundred seventy-five dollars just to have each nacho with type of cheese on it. Mm-hmm. Also, I would pay two hundred and seventy-five dollars uh, if those nachos came with a conversation with Martin Brundle, who had mm. a magnificent moment on the grid. Don't know if you saw it, where he was trying during his grid walk to flag down Roger Federer, failed on multiple occasions, sent eighty the octogenarian. Jackie Stewart, F1 legend, through security without a pass because not even Jackie Stewart was allowed to go in this area. He completely ignored the security guard, went back there, tracked him down, brought him back for an interview, and was out of time. It was the most, I believe Lawrence Edmondson referred to it as the most Alan Partridge moment in a long series of Alan Partridge moments for our man, Martin Brundle, the legend. God bless. He's he's probably not listening to this because he doesn't like to hear about his grid walks because they mortify him. But (laughs) every time you go out there, buddy, the world rides with you. We appreciate it. Best lad, Martin Brundle. I also saw George Russell was trying to help out at some point. Like he was involved somehow. The whole grid walk was as, as always just pure chaos. I saw Paulo Banchero came back. Um, they had a little redemption moment. So, yeah, shout out to Martin, Martin Brundle for that. Um, I, I, by the way, I do need to mention one thing about that you, you mentioned this, okay? Um, but we haven't done this in a while. We tried to mix it up. But you need to know, this weekend, George Russell, not only did he try to help this situation out, and try to help out our man Martin Brundle on the gridwalk. And try to mollify everybody and make it a situation where everybody came out with what they wanted, including the security guard who he was exceedingly polite to. On the track, when he made a pass, he came on the radio and said, that's how we roll. <laughs> For those two things and his enduring good manners, we reinstate George Russell. We coronate him again, okay? The true coronation that happened this week, 
best lad, George Russell. Welcome back to the throne, King. God bless our best lad. I know. So long live the lad. Yeah. Long live the lad. Long, long live, live the, the lad. lad. Uh, we'll make up an English soccer song about him to the tune of, you know, uh, Baby Give It Up, which is apparently what all English people can do on spot about any sports figure <laughs> in the world. Just make up a soccer chant to some 80s pop tune that everyone instantly keys in on immediately. And they call us cringe. Just yeah. kidding. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> um, Where do you, do you think we other... learned it from? Who do you think taught us? Do we have any other uh, questions we want to go through or shall we wrap this up? Uh, I just want to do one last one from Dakota Moyer. What can we do as a community to save Lando? Mm. <laughs> let me let me remind everybody he gets paid to drive a race car and gets paid millions of dollars for this shit. He's fine. He's fine. Uh, however, however, in the spirit of the question, I will answer in the spirit of a proper response, which is we got to get his ass out of McLaren. We got it like cars not right. Nothing's right. We need to get him to a team that needs a bump. We need to get him to a team that's going to have some reorganization. I don't know if that's the eventual, what, Audi team. I don't know if that's taking him and putting him on a revamped Alpine. That seems to be kind of dodgy given Alpine's organizational challenges over the next 6, 12, 18 months. But still, we got to hit the eject button, dog. We got we got to get our boy out of there. So, well, like, where 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 is he better off this season? It doesn't like doesn't even higher, matter. Wherever there's a higher paycheck, that's all I want. That's we, we have to remember this. This is the Valter, but listen, the Bottas escape plan. Okay, <laughs> I take you, I get you out of a situation where you're the second banana or having some issues. I put you in a better situation with more pay, and you happily finished. P, you happily finished somewhere between. P15 and P8, depending on the race, while saying, I'm really happy with how the team's coming together. Just do that. That'd be better than what he's going through right now. I have to agree with you. All right. Well, we'll be back in a couple weeks for our Imola race review. So stay tuned for that. Ooh, upgrades. We have upgrades coming too. We, we don't. Actually, what are th- just like oh. Mercedes. No, just I was like, like are you getting Miro on? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Getting yeah, that listen. If we get if we get Kid Mero on here, you want to talk about taking off at the start finish line? Straight up, baby. That's how that episode is good. This is the formula. See you then. This is the formula. Yep. This is the formula. Yep. This is the formula. Yep. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that seventy five percent of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over thirty five, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.